Good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. And I don't know about you, but uh, that was unbelievable. Matter of fact, I don't really think you need to hear a sermon, so let's pray, take communion, and go to the beach. First of all, I want to thank everyone for uh, this weekend. I hope you're having a great Memorial Day weekend as we remember all those men and women and families that have given us the ultimate sacrifice. And so we want to remember them. And also, we just want to remember what uh, we're going through as a nation and as the world right now. And uh, before we dive into the message, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we love you for who you are, what you have done. And Lord, in the midst of this uh, COVID epidemic and in the midst of uh, all the chaos and the confusion and the anxiety, Lord, thank you for your peace, that you're with us every moment of every day. And it's in Jesus' precious and priceless name that I pray. Amen. We are continuing in a series, and it's called If These Walls Could Talk. Last week, uh, Sean Green talked about and preached on cistern walls. And basically, it's what do you do in life when it feels like you're in mud and mire and you're uh, in a pit? Maybe it's a spiritual or emotional pit. What do you do to get out of that? If you haven't had a chance to go back and watch that, please go back and watch that. This morning, I'm talking about if these walls could talk courtroom walls. Now, I don't know about you uh, and what you think about when you think about scenes and what takes place in a courtroom, the anxiety, the intensity. I mean, just think about some of the famous scenes out of uh, movies where the courtroom is the focus. Movies like To Kill a Mockingbird, 12 Angry Men, and of course that classic, My Cousin Vinny. And then think about the greatest courtroom scene on movie, A Few Good Men. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. We know all about courtrooms. But in reality, even in American history, we know that there are decisions that come out of the courtroom that we will never forget. Back in 1935, the famous Charles Lindbergh trial, which was the kidnapping of his son and the murder of his son. And then, of course, there was the Manson trials, 1970 and 71, where Manson and uh, five of his uh, family, his party, murdered in cold blood five people, one of those being Sharon Tate, a famous actress, eight months pregnant. And then O.J. Simpson in 1995. And then one of the most unique things that are going on now as far as courtroom trials is Netflix documentaries. And so we find things like making of a murder. And now Steve Avery has become a household name. And then, of course, who can forget? <laughs> Joe Exotic from the Tiger King. Poor Joe, now behind bars for the rest of his life, which is fitting after what he's done to so many animals and <laughs> plotting to kill someone. Courtrooms, a lot happens there. Charles Darwo, a famous lawyer, said this about courtrooms. Justice has nothing to do with what goes on in the courtroom. Justice is what comes out of the courtroom. But we know for a fact that justice doesn't always come out of the courtroom. Matter of fact, there is no greater example of injustice than as we pick up the scripture. And we go through God's word, especially through the gospels, and we find that there was no justice in the way that they treated Jesus. Matter of fact, I want you to think about it this way. 
dealing with trials that Jesus went through. Start back in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, imagine, first of all, Jesus is, he's not just carrying the, the weight of the world on his shoulders, he's actually carrying the weight of the world in his heart. And his heart begins to literally melt within him and it says he sweats drops of blood and then he looks up and there are soldiers bearing down on him and leading that pack was Judas who betrayed him. Shortly after that, Peter denied him three times. And then the other disciples, all but one of those disciples, completely abandoned Jesus. So first of all, there was this set of trials from his own friends. And some of you are going through those trials right now. You may not be in a courtroom, but the intensity and the pressure of being left at times isolated and you feel alone because those closest to you are not with you. But the trials continued. Not only did his friends let him down, we see his enemies did everything they could illegally, illegally to drive Jesus to the cross. Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, stood before the Sanhedrin and they brought in false witnesses. Then they spit and they beat Jesus. They sent him to Pilate. Pilate, who wanted nothing to do with this, politically, this was a lose-lose, sends Jesus back to, of all people, King Herod. Herod mocks Jesus and sends him back to Pilate. Pilate trying to do everything in his power to get out of this, to not make a decision, like a judge would have to make a decision, decided instead to put Jesus literally into the court of public opinion. Let the crowd decide Jesus' fate. And the same crowd that a week earlier was screaming, Hosanna, the King of Kings, that same crowd now was screaming, crucify him. So the court of public opinion doesn't even bring about justice. Now, before we get outraged at the people yelling, crucify him, uh, we need to realize that many times in our lives with our actions, we're doing the same thing to Jesus. That we are not being just with Jesus and what he has done for us. I wanna talk today about a verdict Matter of fact, it's interesting. If you look, the Latin word for verdict means to verify something. It is to prove it true. I've had a chance to serve twice now uh, on jury duty. And the phrase you hear over and over again is, remember, um, it is without reasonable doubt. The verdict is to seek what is true. And here's what's true. I'm not going to talk today about this verdict, and this is what people think about when they think about God being the judge, is that we're standing before God, and God will declare us guilty, or he'll declare us innocent. But folks, that's not what I'm going to talk about, because that verdict has already been decided. We are guilty. From the very beginning of creation, once there was the fall in the garden, we were separated from God. And we cannot save ourselves. So there's no need to talk about that judgment. And we need to come to grips with the reality that we are guilty. I love this song by B.B. King and you too. If you don't have it, you need to download that song. Listen to a part of the lyrics. I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard and the soldier drew his sword. 
I threw the dice when they pierced his side, but I've seen love conquer the great divide. When love comes to town, I'm gonna catch that train. When love comes to town, I'm gonna catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. See, here's what I want all of us to understand this morning about God. There are a lot of folks that think God is this angry uh, ruler and he just wants to see us suffer. That's not God at all. God loved us so much that he sent his son that even though we're guilty of sin and even though we're guilty of so many things, he still loves us. He doesn't condemn us. That has never been the verdict. Matter of fact, listen to these words from God's word. John 3, verse 17. We all know verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who should ever fall in love with him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But listen to 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is a new condemnation for those who are in Christ because through Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life and set us free from the law and the sin of death. For just a moment, I want us to look at the word condemnation and the word conviction. Condemnation says it's a voice in our ear every day of our life. Condemnation says I was wrong. There's no way out. I am worthless. Conviction whispers in her ear, I was wrong. I need help. And because of Jesus Christ, I am priceless. Do you see the difference? We don't sit before a judge and the verdict is, you're guilty. No. We stand before a loving God that says, you are not condemned because of the blood of Jesus. See, that's not the verdict that I wanna talk about this morning. The verdict that I wanna talk about is what God wants us to do every day of our lives. That's what he's concerned about. You see, really that first verdict that so many people struggle with is not a verdict at all. It's actually a decision. It's not God's decision, it's our decision whether we wanna accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, then God issues this verdict. This is how I want you to live the rest of your life. Because think about this, if you're in a courtroom and it's a serious case and you sit before a judge, whatever decision he declares that day will change your future. And when we give our lives to Jesus, it changes our future. And God says, here's what I want you to do with your future. And as I prayed over this, I kept thinking about Micah 6, 8. Please listen to these words. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require? In other words, what does the Lord's verdict look like? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Act justly. In the Cambridge Dictionary, that says uh, justice is fairness in the way people are dealt with. I love what Jeremiah 22, 3 in the message says. This is God's message. 
attend to the matters of justice, set things right between people, rescue victims from their exploitation. Don't take advantage of the homeless or the orphans or the widows. Did you know that it, there is a Bible called the Bible of Justice and Poverty? And in that Bible, it highlights over 2,000 verses where God works towards and desires justice to overcome poverty. We are called to practice justice in our life. Justice is simply this. When you see wrong, you have the courage to do what is right. Not what is easy, to do what is right. To love mercy. I love this definition that mercy is faithful love. Exodus 25 paints this picture, verses 19 to 22. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what we're talking about here. But that ark represented the very presence of God. And on that ark, there was a lid. And that lid had these two beautiful cherub, these beautiful angels and their wings were pointed at each other, their heads down in humility. And that lid is called the mercy seat. Now here's what I love if you read that text. Everything that was done, the Ark of the Covenant represented this this attitude that God has for all of us. I will meet you there. Don't you love that? God is saying, when you come to me, I will meet you there. That's what mercy does. James 2.13 says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Ephesians 4, 4 and 5 says, God is rich in mercy. If you're like me, I love the band Mercy Me. And so every minister is trying to find a nugget of gold. And I thought, man, I have got the drop the mic illustration with this mercy me. Man, I'm gonna dig into how they got their name. And I thought it was gonna be this tear jerking story. And uh, it's pretty lame to be honest with you. Uh, the lead singer, his name is uh, Millard. <laughs> I'm sure he got beat up a lot in, in the playground. But anyway, Millard, uh, years later, uh, after high school was working as an intern, was not getting paid anything. And his grandmother would jokingly say, mercy me, are you ever gonna get a real job? Mercy me. Mercy is so much more than just a slang. Oh, mercy me, no. Mercy means so much more. Sympathy is a card, but mercy is a visit. Mercy is not wanting to give people what they deserve. Mercy is giving people what they need. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for me. It's what Jesus did for you. Mercy is so Christ-like. In the book, uh, Hole in Our Gospel, it com comes this uh, uh, poem by Richard Stearns. I want you to listen carefully to what he says. For I was hungry while you had all you needed. I was thirsty but you drank bottled water. I was a stranger and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes and you needed more clothes. I was sick and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison and you said I was getting what I deserve. Here's what I love about Sherwood Oaks. There's a lot of things I love about Sherwood Oaks. First of all, I love Brad Pontius. Uh, I love his heart and his passion to reach the unlovable and those that desperately need help. 
Brad is driven by mercy. The missions are driven by mercy and justice. I want you to think about this. You may not know this, but part of our money goes to India that fights against labor, slavery, to Rafa that fights in Myanmar and Haiti that fights for the rehabilitation of young women who have been trafficked. Aqua Viva, Guatemala, doing everything they can through adoption and foster care to make a difference. Locally, I think of lives who've been transformed through Wheeler Rescue Mission, Habitat for Humanity, CASA, Boys and Girls Club, and the list goes on and on. You see, any church that you're a part of, one of the things that you could look at more than anything else is, are they really practicing justice and are they really putting mercy into motion? And I can tell you Sherwood Oaks is doing that. And then last of all, walk humbly with the Lord. Humility is not thinking less of yourself Humility is thinking about yourself less. And the perfect example of that is Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, six and 11, listen, listen with all your heart to these words. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him in the highest place and he gave him the name above every name that Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Why is it that we would bow down to Jesus in this way? And the answer is his humility, that he was a servant. Don't you love when Jesus was looking over Jerusalem and it said he was filled with what? Anger? No. Disgust? No, hatred, disappointment, none of those. No, Jesus was full of compassion, driven by humility. That's what we're called to do. That's the verdict that God has for all of us, that we are willing to do whatever it takes to practice justice and mercy and to humbly walk every day with the Lord. And every so often, there's a perfect storm when all of those come together and we shake our head and we say, well, that was a God thing. We see stories and we see lives that are transformed by those things coming together. Recently, I heard a story about Dwayne Wade. Uh, Dwayne Wade, many of you know, played in the NBA, also played under coach uh, Tom Crean uh, at Marquette University. What you may not know is Dwayne Wade's mother, when he was very young, um, really battled heroin. Um, his dad had left him for a long season of his life and then his mother was battling heroin. He went to live with his dad and uh, for years he didn't even see his mom. She just got so deep into that pit that Sean talked about last week. She never dreamed she'd ever come out alive. 
And then a friend took her to church and she found Jesus. Dwayne Wade said, I was in college. It was Christmas break. I couldn't believe it. I got a letter from my mom. I came home for Christmas and there was my mom again. Like I hadn't seen her in years. She was so alive and she was healthy. And she said, Dwayne, I found Jesus. And he said, mom, I'm so proud of you. And then she said, because I found Jesus and I'm right with him, I gotta get right with everybody else, including the law, you know I'm on the run. I'm gonna turn myself in. She went back to jail for over two years. And while she was there in jail, you know what she did? She studied to be an ordained minister. She got out, she finished her schooling, and then Dwayne Wade did something pretty remarkable. He bought his mom a church in South Chicago so that she could share week after week after week what Jesus had done for her. And what I love about that story more than anything is as they ended this documentary, had Dwayne Wade there with his mom and his mom said, you know, Dwayne, I used to sit there and I'd sit in the stands and I'd watch you play basketball. That's my son playing basketball in the NBA. And I can't believe that's my son. And he said, mom, I sat in that church and I watch you preach. And I think, man, that's my mom. I can't believe that's my mom doing that today, preaching. Oh, if you have just listened to God's voice and listened to his verdict, not to condemn us, but to love us and to challenge us to be like Jesus with justice, with mercy, and with humility. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. It is an honor to be here today and an honor to be a part of this church. And it's an honor to serve you. And Lord, the greatest verdict is not whether we are guilty or innocent. You've already paid the price for us. No, Lord, the greatest verdict is what we're gonna do with our life. And Lord, help us to practice and do whatever it can to do what is right through justice, to be merciful, and to humbly walk with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.